You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. We are in the book of Matthew. You guys don't have to say that with such excitement in your voice. We are in the book of Matthew. And... Um, If you have a Matthew book and you are following along, it's page 35. If you don't have a Matthew book and you'd like one, I've got a stack of spares here. It's basically just a place for you to take notes and to jot down questions you can uh, discuss later on with your family over the dinner table, Um, a place to kind of keep track of what God is teaching you. We've got them available, so if you want one, um, we've got them, and uh, you can come grab one. Um, In the book of Matthew, chapter 7, we are... Slowly but surely, steadily, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Sermon on the Mount, remember, is Jesus' one of his most famous messages. Contains a lot of things like the Beatitudes and the Lord's Prayer. Things that we reference regularly, but they all go together in this one big sermon to teach us something really important about God's kingdom. Today we find ourselves at the very tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. We are going to finish the Sermon on the Mount next week. Today we are going to tackle the second to last half of it. Now I need to say, um, in your notes on page 34, um, it says Matthew 7, 1 through 20. But as I was studying the passage and looking ahead to next week and trying to understand how these things work together, I realized I divvied this up wrong. Um, So we're only going to go 1 through 12 today. And we're going to do 13 through, whatever the end, 13 through 29 next week. So forgive that. Scratch out 1 through 20, put 1 through 12, and, uh, and that's where we're going to focus ourselves today. It divides itself up thematically much nicer this way, and, um, and so we'll go from there. So stick your finger in Matthew, 1, or Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Um, how many of you have used the phrase, as you were doing something that maybe you shouldn't have been doing. Don't judge me. Anybody? Right, regularly in my household as I eat like a pound of bacon. Don't judge me. They give me looks. Don't judge me. This is my, okay. We use this term culturally a lot. Don't judge me. So I did a little Google search, and I found some really funny quips, okay? So here's, here, there's truth behind these, though. <laughs> right? Um, just the look on his face says everything to me. Uh, okay, so there's Big Bird. Don't judge me. What about this one? Don't judge me because I sin differently than you. Okay. Your sin is okay. My sin is okay. Don't judge me. I won't judge you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Don't judge me, you judgmental judger. How dare you judge my judging? Right? Somebody says, only God can judge me. What they really mean is, I know that it's wrong and I still don't care. They're funny, but they're painfully true. When I say don't judge me, what I mean is stop looking at the shameful pound of bacon I'm cramming in my face. Um, We live like this. When we do something and we say, don't judge me, we put up a wall that says, I don't want you to think about what I'm doing Let me live in my bubble. 
You can't tell me what to do. God and I have an agreement. This is included in it. And it, we, I mean, we think like that. We laugh, but we think like that. We put our hand out and we say, no further can you come into my world. No further can you affect my life. I will not be judged by you. But that's perhaps not what God has in mind for us. Think about your life prior to Christ for a moment. Okay? Some of you, that was the first three years of your life. Some of you, that was the first 29 years of your life. Some of you, I don't know. We all have ranges of how long we've been a believer. Think about your life prior to Christ. Reflect for a moment on the choices that you had made, the behaviors that you had, the habits, the attitudes, the words you used, the people you hung out with. It's not pretty in my mind. Now, whether your sins were huge or relatively insignificant, okay, sin is sin, but some things have more lasting consequences than others. So whether they were more insignificant or more significant on the grand scheme of things, there was at some point in your life when you realized that you had sinned and that sin had separated you from God. You reached a point, um, and in our faith we call that a crisis point, a crisis moment where you realized, oh no, I've offended the God of the universe. So at some point you reached a crisis where you realized, I have sinned, My sin has separated me from God, and there's a penalty for my sin. And that penalty is death. And so that would start a chain reaction in your mind. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. Now what do I do? I need Jesus to forgive me. I need Jesus to cleanse me. I need Jesus to make me holy from the inside out so that I don't just modify my behavior, but that's so I become a new creation. We talked about that on Easter, right? Which is how we planted all these seeds, which are growing magnificently, by the way. Continue to pray for all of those folks who made life change on Easter. So we needed God to give us a new nature. And now, as believers, we live out of that new nature in a whole new identity. As a child of God, brought out of slavery, paid for by the blood of Christ, We live with God, we serve God, we lead others into fellowship with him. And if all this is true to you you and your life at this point, then you are called to live and act and speak as a person who has received a huge amount of mercy in the place of judgment. Everything you have experienced in your Christian walk, the realizing of your sin the need to repent of it, the forgiveness, the new life in Christ, means that you have escaped the judgment, the wrath of God. When God saw your sin, he chose to divert the wrath and punishment that you deserved to his son, Jesus, on the cross. We just had this talk with my child this morning in that office as she sat like the kid behind the principal's desk, right, in the chair with the down, fallen face just had this conversation with her. When God sees your sin, he chooses to divert the wrath and punishment to Jesus. And instead of eternal death and hell, you've got mercy and grace and new life and forgiveness. And because of that transaction, because of that costly price, God can now turn to you, the recipient of mercy, and say this. And here's what God would say to you. Judge not that you not be judged. 
For the judgment that you pronounce is the judgment that you will be judged with. And the measure that you use will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck that's in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your eye? You hypocrite. Take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. They'll trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We'll stop there, and then we'll get to the second section in a minute. Um, Jesus is saying some really strong things here, but there's a, a seeming contradiction in this passage. Did you guys pick up on it? Don't judge, but also you need to judge. Do not judge, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not, so that you are not judged. Matthew 7, 6. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Well, how do you know what a dog and what a pig is unless you make a judgment? You have to choose. You have to evaluate. You have to judge. So how can, in the space of 10 seconds, Jesus say, don't judge but judge? Don't judge lest you be judged. Everything you do will be judged back to you. But you need to judge. We need to understand some terminology. We need to look at what Jesus is saying. We need to understand this so that we can apply it properly. We are clearly told not to judge others. Matthew 7.1. He also says it in James 4.12. There is only one lawgiver, one judge. It's he who's able to save And he who is able to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? That seems pretty clear cut, right? God is the judge. We are not the judge. But then we're specifically told to judge others because we have to evaluate who are the dogs and the swine and who are not. In John 7, verse 24, it says this. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. By the way, those are the words of Jesus. So now what does that mean? In the English translation, it just uses the word judge. And we miss something again when we're not looking at the Greek. Even if you don't know any Bible at all, you will probably know the verse, don't judge, because people use it all the time. Don't judge me. This is the American non-Christian life verse. Don't judge me. People use it all the time. And what's amazing, when they're using it, they're using it to judge you. They're judging your judging of them. You look at them like, why did you, don't judge me. But they're judging your judgment. So, you know, it's a little questionable. You say, hey, I think that's wrong. And they say, hey, don't judge me. And you say, are you judging my judging? There's a party foul. And they throw the flag down on the ground. You're judging my judging. That's very judgmental of you. And then we're just stuck in conversation. There's really no way around judging, though. So what does Jesus mean by you shall not judge? In one regard, judgment means to use discernment and wisdom. Parents, you teach your children. Who do you want to be friends with? You need to judge the character of people around you so that you know who to allow to influence you. 
Who are you going to spend your time with? But there's a difference between judgment and condemnation. Judgment would be the use of discernment and wisdom. Condemnation would be to make a final determination on someone's fate eternal, which we don't have the right to do. In one regard, I think Jesus is loosely talking about the person who lives their life as a judge, little j judge, okay? The person who's always judging people. I know if I asked you to raise your hand, if you know someone like this, you would raise both hands, okay? This is the moral cop who lives in your life, the neatnik, the nitpick, the one who is constantly criticizing. They take the disposition of a critic. They always find the fault and the failure, and the flaw. They're always looking for what's wrong, and they always let you know about it. Any of you know someone like that? Okay. Any of you like that? It would be okay to admit that too. Okay. Um, I think Jesus is pushing against the idea of saying, don't be like that. Those are like the Pharisees. Don't be like that. When you judge, don't be like that. See, the Bible is filled with laws, and our lives are filled with sin. And if sinners, us, are going to coexist together, a couple things have to happen. We have to be humble and prayerful and careful and biblical and merciful and gracious when we approach people so that when we judge them, when we use discernment with them, it's not in a condemning way. It's not in a way that would say, I have no hope for you. Your attitudes and behaviors disgust me. I'm done with you. You're worthless. I'm sick of it. We're through. Have any of you said anything along those lines in a friendship, in a relationship, in a conversation? That's the wrong kind of judgment. I've done that too. In high school, I did that. Haunts me to this day. We're not friends to this day, me and this other person, because the conversation ended pretty much like that. I'm done with you. Threw up my hands, they did too, we walked away. That grieved me today. That's judging and then condemning. It's one thing to recognize sinful behavior. It's another thing to say, we're done. Final sentence pronounced. No more hope for you. I can give you no more grace. And the truth is, we don't know what God has for people, right? The job of capital J judge is taken by Jesus. John chapter 5. The Father's entrusted all judgment to me. He's the capital J judge. We don't have the right to say, we're done. Did Jesus say, I'm done with you. Your sin is too great. You disgust me. Your behavior is terrible. I'm done. Walk away. No. He did not. His grace ever went before us. We cannot outrun it. We cannot outdig it. There's nothing we can do to go beyond his grace. We are called to live that way. Christians don't get to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, although some people want to. Like the reality is, we want to. Cultural Christianity, American Christianity as a whole, tries to tell people, people groups, cultures, subgroups, you are okay and you are not. And so American Christianity as a whole has taken the seat of judge. And we as a church, as a whole, not just us, but as a whole American church, need to repent of that kind of behavior. We don't have the right to say, you can't come to church dressed like that. You can't come to church when you're under the influence of alcohol. You can't 
So when I had junior high ministry, you if they're smoking out front, they can't be here. We don't have the right to say that because rather that they would smoke out front the church and then come and hear the gospel, then never be exposed to the gospel. We don't have the right to say no further because your behavior is too bad to be in church. I don't think Jesus came for the healthy people. I think he came for the sick people. And we don't have the right to put up a wall and say no further, you sinful people. Because if, if that's how we are to live, then someone at some point would have said to us, no further. Peter, you're sinful. You shouldn't come to church. I know your motives and your intentions. I know why you're t- specifically, and someone did have this conversation with me when I was in high school. I know why you're attending this church. And I know your motives are impure. And I will not let you go any further in that behavior. But we want you to be here. That was the most difficult conversation to sit under. And the most loving conversation anyone could ever have with me. I never looked at that man the same way again because he pulled the father card on me. He wasn't my father, but he acted like my father in that moment. He said, I'm not going to let you come in here for a girl, right? Have a relationship that means nothing and walk away like it doesn't count. Well, there was no judgment. There was just your behavior is inappropriate. You're more than welcome to be here. I'm watching you. (laughs) Okay? And because of that conversation and many others, which I needed in my young days, God reformed my character. I came to know Christ because someone said, that's not okay. But I love you enough to let you be in our presence and learn. God decides where we go. Not me, not you, not us. We don't condemn anyone. We don't have the right But what we can do is what that man did for me. Share Jesus and the truth of the Bible with people and say something along the lines of this. Hey, here's what Jesus says. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And I love you. I don't love what you're doing. It's hurtful. It's sinful. You're messing with people's lives. But the bottom line is this. If Jesus and you are connected, you get to be with him, and there's more hope. But if you're disconnected from him, you're one day going to give an account to him. And that's what Jesus said. That's not what I said. We love you and we want you here. We'll even receive you with your bad behavior. We're not going to send you away. But we won't let you do that here, you know? There's a difference in tone there. So you just quote Jesus, just like the guy did with me. I'm not going to let you go any further in that behavior here. But I love you and I want you here. Life change moment, okay? So, then there's this verse. Verse 6. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We don't live in a world where dogs and pigs are running feral, okay? Um, In other places in the world, they are. This analogy doesn't really make sense to our worldview. So, I want to unpack this a little bit. He said, don't be the critic, don't be the moral cop, don't be negative, don't be difficult, don't discourage people, and don't judge people and then condemn them by saying, you're kindling for the fire, I'm done with you, and leave them there. Don't, don't do that. Instead, what we should do is judge Christians. Christians should be judging one another, holding one another accountable. Christians should love non-Christians and introduce them to Jesus. This is what this dogs and um, swine verse means. 
it means that in American Christianity, we tend to, in this room, allow one another to get away with sin. We're not in each other's lives deep enough. We don't relate to each other on such a level that we would say, I see your sin and that's not okay. You claim to love Jesus, but your actions don't match. I love you. Can I help you with that? Can I pray with you? Can I keep you accountable? Can we meet regularly? I can't let you go any further in that sin. It's hurtful to you, to your family, to your children, to whatever. But more often than not, we don't have those conversations. Where do we point the finger? Look at those sinful people on our walls. We are holy. They're sinful. And we've got it all backwards. Jesus says this. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give to dogs what's holy. They don't understand. They don't know any better. We need to love them, teach them, spend time with them. And within the walls of the church and the confines of Christian fellowship, we need to be able to pull one another aside and say, listen, I, I saw that Facebook status you made the other day, and it, I questioned, what's going on there? It looked a little... I heard how you were talking with your spouse. That seemed... Is there something going on? Can I, can I pray with you? Our, our marriage has been through the rocks. Maybe we can help you. Listen, I see you've got an addiction. I see you struggle with. We should be able to have those conversations. Christians need to be judging one another, not condemning one another, but holding one another accountable to what you claim to believe. This is really important. This is how a church gets strong. We don't let sin slide within the walls of this body, right? That's why we believe in small groups. We gather together regularly in Bible studies and small groups, right? Have coffee with one another so that you can get into each other's lives so that you can be in a relationship in which if someone were to pull you aside and say, it just doesn't match up with what you say you believe. I know you believe what you believe. Can I help you here? That's appropriate judgment. That's good and right. We should be doing that more often. What we should not do is let sin slide here and point our finger outward and say, judgy judge. Sinners, God doesn't love you. Look at your sinful life. It's falling apart. And then when they come to church, they feel judged because we're not talking about it amongst ourselves. We need to be able to say, yeah, sin shouldn't exist here. Paul talks about this. Um, Paul says in, uh, in Corinthians, now I'm off my notes. Oh, yeah. In 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 13, Paul says this. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not supposed simply to judge those inside? God will judge those on the outside. It's not our responsibility to judge those on the outside when they don't know better. What did Jesus do when he was on the mount and he looked down upon the city before he entered Jerusalem? He looked down on the city and he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And when he was on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. He extended grace and love and continued to introduce himself to them rather than judge them. Because you don't win someone by saying, you're a horrible sinner. You win someone by saying, God loves you. And I was totally there. Here's how he helped me. Can I tell you about Jesus and his great love for you? Come and see how much God loves you. We tend to let Christian brothers and sisters get away with sin. And we act as the moral police complaining about the behavior of non-Christians. Paul says, don't do that. Instead, come alongside people. Encourage people. 
Christians should judge Christians, but Christians should introduce non-Christians to Jesus, and there's a really different mindset there. So here's the next thing. What does it mean when we should judge and not condemn? It means we need to forgive. You can't... You have to have forgiveness in the equation. Luke talks about these verses in the same way, but he adds the word, judge not lest you not be judged, and forgive so that you may be forgiven. Um, Judgment, condemnation, forgiveness all need to be talked about together. Jesus means forgive, and he says so in Luke, because it would be hypocritical for us to go to God and say, I've sinned against you, You've sent your son to die on the cross for my place. You've taken away my sins. You've secured my salvation. And now I come to you, Lord God, and I ask for your forgiveness. But then when someone would sin against you and you say, no further, I don't forgive you. We're done. That's hypocritical, which is exactly why Jesus says, you hypocrite. Take the log out of your walking around after an industrial accident. There is a two by four entering the back of your head and exiting the front of it. How do you even think you can see well enough to help someone else? This two-by-four has to get taken care of first. Two-by-four is made out of what? Wood. Sawdust is made out of what? Same thing. Sin is sin. But you cannot help someone else unless you let God help you first. So you can't go to someone and be a hypocrite. If you're getting forgiveness, you need to be giving forgiveness. If you don't forgive, you will become a bitter hypocrite because that's what occurs to the unforgiving people. And if you're a hypocrite, then you're going to want God to forgive you and not forgive them. And then you're going to start judging people. It takes one to repent. I'm sorry for what I've done. One to forgive. I forgive you for the way that you've hurt me. Two, to reconcile the forgiveness and the repentance. But you can forgive whether or not someone repents. You are supposed to forgive whether or not someone repents. So you can forgive. And in forgiving, let me tell you, and it's on the board, what you're not doing. This is important for people who've been seriously wronged. You are not approving of the behavior that was done. When you forgive someone, you are not approving. You're not saying, I'm okay with what you've done or failed to do. You are saying, in fact, the opposite. What you did was wrong. You failed to do what was wrong. I am choosing to forgive you because sin needs forgiveness. Jesus did it for me. He forgives you. I will also forgive you because what you did was bad enough for Jesus to die on the cross for. You're not saying you approve of what they did. You're saying quite the opposite. What you did requires the sacrifice of Jesus, and I forgive you. You're also not denying it happened. Oh, that didn't happen. Oh, my toddler does this all the time. I'm sorry. It never happened. Forgive me. Like, you can't go back in time and erase it. You're not saying by forgiving someone that it didn't happen. Oh, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. Forgiveness is not 
dismissing the sin that occurred. Forgiveness is not also or is not diminishing it. Oh, it's no big deal. Nobody's perfect. It didn't really bother me. But on the inside, you're like, no, it, it was a really big deal. Every sin is a really big deal because Jesus died for it. You're not diminishing sin by forgiving it. And you're not covering it up either. Forgiveness is not the covering of sin. You can forgive someone and still call the police. You can forgive someone and they can still be arrested. You can forgive someone because if they've committed a crime, there should still be consequences. I thought you forgave me. I do. I'm not bitter. I love you. I'm not angry, but you've committed a crime. Jesus died for it. He can forgive you. But it doesn't mean it didn't happen. I walked through this with a member in my youth group once who at youth camp said, just broke down like an emotional puddle. She'd been raped by her father. And she struggled with the idea of forgiveness because she thought that if she forgave, that it would go back to normal. That things would be the way it was. That it was okay. That it would give him permission to do it again. All of these things. Now, this is a large example. and Sometimes we just need to forgive the small things, right? Forgiveness is not these things. Forgiveness is saying what you did required the sacrifice of God. He has done so for me. I have received forgiveness. I give forgiveness. And sometimes it's a daily thing. Sometimes there's things that are wounds that we have to say, God, help me forgive this person again and again and again. And if you don't forgive, you become a bitter hypocrite. God wants you to forgive. Some of you need to understand the fullness of forgiveness and leave the people to God because ultimately he is the judge, not us. Our job is to forgive. God's judge. God is the judge. Job is to, if they repent, um, forgive them as well. If they don't, they will, they will end up departed from his presence forever. But that's not up to us, right? Our job is to forgive. But the question is this, how can I forgive? How can I forgive? How can I rightly judge? How do I know? How do I decide? How do I go up to a brother and in love say something that's helpful and not come off like a jerk, right? I think that's one of the reasons we don't go up to people and say, I see what you're doing here, and it's not exactly you know, in line with what you profess to believe. Because none of us want to be a jerk for Jesus. How do we navigate these waters? How do we love people who are unlovable? And this is where we will close today. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find Knock, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a poisonous serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will God, your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask? So what... Whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them. This is both the law and the prophets, right? So we've talked about all of this judging and not condemning and forgiving people. And the question is, how am I supposed to do all that? How am I supposed to walk that perfect balance? 
And the answer, Jesus says, is simply ask, seek, and knock. Pray. You need to go to God. He's the only one that can help you forgive. He's the only one that can help you repent of your own sin. Take care of that two by four. He's the only one that will give you the wisdom on when and how to approach someone. He's the only one that will give you the strength to love that really unlovable person that doesn't yet know Jesus. He's the only one that can help you with these things. And he says, ask, seek, knock. He's giving you all the options. Any way, shape, and form you can try. Just come to me is what he's saying. I'm a good dad is what he's saying. Any of you are parents, yes? Okay. Your children asked you for food before? Have you given them rocks? No? Okay. Have you given them snakes when they've asked for other things? No. Because you're good parents and you want to do right by your children. And when they need something for survival, you give it to them. God says it's just like that. I'm your father. If you need it, I will give it to you. Just ask for it. Ask for the strength. Ask for the um, encouragement. If you desire to love other people, ask for the ability to see past their sins. Ask for the ability to love the unlovable. I am so thankful to Kurt Reimer for probably getting on his knees before the Lord, knowing what I know about him, and asking God to give him wisdom to deal with an unruly teenage boy named Peter. Because if he hadn't, it wouldn't have gone the same way. My life is ever changed because of people's faithfulness to seek God and to speak to me. We are called to live that way. If you desire to love others, ask, seek, and knock. And then whatever you want people to do to you, do back to them. You want grace extended to you when you sin? Yeah? I do. You want people to forgive you when you have done something wrong? Do you want um, you know, people to approach you gently when you have a sin in your life or some area that needs conversation? Do the same with others. Um, he's making it personal here. Um, in the very beginning, he said, don't judge because you're going to get judged the way you judge. There's some heavy words there. It's a whole other sermon we could dive into if we wanted. So the first one is very, don't judge lest you be judged. And then he rephrases it at the end. Listen, treat other people how you want to be treated. It's common sense. Um, it's in the Beatitudes. Those who give mercy will receive mercy. Right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, Proverbs talk about this. A little honey sweetens the fly, brings it to you. Right. So life goes so much better when we extend love Grace, mercy, open-handed invitations, forgiveness. And where does the responsibility fall for that? We need to go to God and we need to ask for the strength for it day in and day out. Jesus desires that you would remove your self-given right to judge others. This whole passage this morning is about saying, get off the throne. It's not yours. When we judge people, we put ourselves as Lord. And that's a sin in itself that needs repenting of. And we act as little lords judging other people. But we are not righteous judges. 
We are not loving judges. We judge out of our own selfishness. And God says we can't see clearly enough to lead other people to him, to lead other people to repentance. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and to that all things will be added unto us. We must pursue steadfastly the heart of God, asking, seeking, knocking every day. And he is faithful to respond. He is faithful to answer us. In Proverbs it says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me will find me. He's not playing the weirdest game of cosmic hide-and-seek. He is findable. He is standing in the middle of the room. You count to ten, open your eyes. Oh, there he is. Jeremiah says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. God's not, it's not mean. He's not cosmic hide-and-seek with you. He says the equation is simple. There are people in your worldview, in your world, that love me, but they need help. Ask me to help you and then help them. There are people outside of these walls that don't know me. Unless you are right with me, you're going to have no way how to help them. This is a maritime community. I'll close with this example. You ever gone river rafting? Ever been on a boat, someone fallen overboard? Ever been, no? Okay, well, at least you guys understand water and boats. Um, If someone is on your boat and they fall overboard and the tide starts to go with them and the current takes them a little bit away from the boat and you throw a life ring out to them and the life ring is attached to no rope, what good is that to them? They'll float. That's about it. If you decide, well, that didn't work, I'm going to jump in and help them. But you are not attached to the boat? What good is that to you guys? If you try and help someone outside these walls, but you have not got yourself right with the Lord and you've not taken care of that plank that's through your head, um, you are just as much throwing yourself into the brink. You have no way of helping them back to salvation, to the boat, to Jesus. You have to be connected to God through prayer, asking, seeking, knocking. At the same time, you're walking into the lives of other people, both believers and non-believers. We are called to judge each other according to the faith that we profess. We are called to love and extend grace and mercy to non-believers and to each other. This is the way we are supposed to live. We can't get away with saying, don't judge me. Rather, we should be saying to one another, where do you see my faults? That's a little more painful question. Where, where have I failed you? How have I, how have I wronged you? Point it out to me. I don't want to live like that. What does the psalmist say? Search my heart, O oh God. We should be saying that to each other. Search my actions. What doesn't look right? Help me be a better follower of Christ. So I would say that to you guys. Help me be a better follower of Christ. Help me be a better pastor. Keep me accountable. It's what we're supposed to do for one another. I will do the same for you. And I will ask, seek, and knock so that I don't do it in the way of a jerk, but I will do it in the way of a loving brother to you guys, whom I do love and I don't want to be a jerk to. Um, Ask, seek, and knock. God is faithful. Here's some questions to reflect on, I think. There we go. Who or what types of people do you find yourself judging? People with addictions? 
Homeless people. Can't give them my money. They're just going to spend it on booze. Judgment. What types of people or specific person do you find yourself judging? Who do you need to forgive? And what do you need to ask Jesus for? Those are the questions to reflect on this week. Ask your kids these questions. Ask your spouse these questions. Meet someone for coffee. Ask these questions. Get into each other's lives. Hold each other accountable. It will change your life. It will change this church. It will change our community when we do it not the backwards way of American Christianity, but the biblical way. Hold each other accountable and love the people outside these walls. I think it would start a revolution. I think that's what Jesus did. What did he do to all the Pharisees? You're a hypocrite. You're sons of Satan. Those are not friendly words. But it gave them an opportunity to recognize their sin and repent. To those outside the church, come and see. I love you. Let me feed you. Come to my house. Hang out with me. Something better for you. And we should live like that model rather than the inverse. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll worship. Um, And you guys can get your little instruments back out. And uh, we'll sing praises to the Lord. Father, I'm thankful this morning that even though you are judge and you had to judge sin, you chose to divert the judgment and the wrath to Jesus. Um, That he died in my place for my sins on that cross and that you continually extend grace to me, both through your Holy Spirit and through other people in my life who have demonstrated your grace and your love in a very tangible way. This morning, I ask that you would help us, Father. Fill us with your grace and forgiveness and your mercy and your love in such a way that we have so much that it has to spill out to those around us. That when we look at people, we see people with compassion and with mercy, whether they're our brothers and sisters or whether they're not. Help us call people to repentance and lead people to you judging rightly sin when we see it in the lives of this church and generously demonstrating love and compassion and service to those outside so that they might know the sweetness of your fellowship. We give you all the glory for the things that you've done, Father, and now we praise you because you've redeemed us and called us to live to this high, holy calling. We give you all the praise and all the glory, Father. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Right. That is exciting. You guys can keep the instruments for next week. And here's the benediction. Do not judge, but judge a little bit. Encourage people to love God and not to stay in sin. Amen? Amen. Go in peace.